Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, coming to you from sunny and warm Greenville, South Carolina. And over there in Germany somewhere, probably just ran back from the, the Giro presentation, or the Giro commentating, I'm sorry, Mr. Jens Voigt. So here I am, back home in Germany, just finished working on the Giro Italia, and I'm super happy because A, my family is going to come and see me soon to say hi to me, and second, I predicted today's outcome almost at the second, at, at the kilometer precisely, and I'm super stoked that it all worked out the way I, ex I expected it. Man, you're good. You have a talent because anytime I make a prediction, that rider does not win. Uh, that is not a talent that I have. But uh, the fact that your family's coming to your nice little spa hotel that you described a couple weeks ago has me a little concerned. I mean, are you going to be able to still sleep on your bed or are you going to have to sleep on the floor because the kids are going to take over the bed? Well, uh, my wife comes with the two youngest daughters. The other ones go, oh, mom goes away, dad is gone, we got the house for us. So... They happy to stay home, but the two youngest one, they gonna come, and um, yeah, we see how we negotiate who's gonna stay where and in what bed and in what room. It's all open. We don't know yet how this is gonna work out. You still don't have to clean up after the dogs in the garden, though. So regardless, that'll be a good, a good little uh, rest after being away for so long. But today we have a great guest. Axel Merckx is joining us. So please sit back and listen to what Axel has been able to accomplish, not only in his career, and especially with his work currently with Hagman's Berman Action. I am super excited today for our guest. I've known him a very, very long time. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, we used to live together on the Cote d'Azur, Axel Merckx. Welcome to Bobby and Jens. Hey, Bobby. Hi, Jens. Man, Axel, there, there's just so many questions I have for you. Um, you know, we've known each other a while, and I have to say, you know, I, I, I can't imagine what it was like, especially in the early days, growing up with the last name Merckx. Um, tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up with your dad and the history of your, your father, and then your, your introduction to cycling, because I understand you were actually more interested in football or soccer, as we call it over here in the United States, right at the beginning, yeah, right? Yeah, so my, my, uh, my first introduction to the sport is that when my dad came home at the age of, uh, I was probably six years old, and said I registered uh, our son to soccer because he needs to do some sport, he needs to get his energy out of, uh, out of the house a little bit. Uh, I was a tantrum child, I guess, supposedly, not that I remember. But uh, yeah, I know it's so, it was, it's probably the best thing that he's done uh, at a young age for me, uh, just to get that energy uh, blasted out of me. And uh, I loved it. You know, I, I grew up playing uh, in what I think is the best team in Belgium. Maybe not currently, but um, it will always be in my heart. Uh, but, uh, you know, I had great years doing that. And then, but the cycling was always around, you know, my, obviously through my dad, but my granddad on my mom's side was also a former cyclist. He was actually a, a national team coach, uh, back when my dad was a U23 or an amateur. 
Um, so cycling was part of our life, obviously, from the, from the young age on. And then, you know, my dad started the factory and, you know, they started sponsoring cycling teams. So pro riders would be around. We'd go to races or watch races on TV. And, you know, the passion grew from there. And uh, we'd go for bike rides, obviously, with my dad uh, and then with some friends, even when I was playing soccer. And, uh, you know, recalling this conversation that he told me afterwards that my dad got home and told my mom, yeah, I made him suffer quite bad today. So don't worry, I'll never be a cyclist. And guess what? 15 years old came and uh, soccer became uh, a little bit more competitive that I, that I enjoyed it because uh, I was really just there for the, for the good times and, and have a, uh, the desire to play the game and not to sit on the bench. And, you know, I came off the field one day uh, not having played one second of the, of the game and I walked over to my mom and I said, you know, in cycling, there is no benches. And I think that's where it started, really. And... Um, you know, like the, the bug was there and and uh, decided to do it, to jump in it. And, you know, maybe if I would have known exactly what I was uh, I was up to, I'm, I may have changed my mind uh, before I made the decision. But once I made a decision, you know, I was committed and, and I wanted to do it. So racing wise, it was challenging in the beginning, you know, because uh, my first race was uh, 1988. May 1st, and uh, that's just barely 10 years after my dad retired. So the memories of the people were still very fresh in their mind. So going to races was not that fun for me. It was just not fun at all. Um, as in, I enjoyed what I was doing, but the competition and, you know, everybody was racing against me, basically. So that's, that's the hardest part. And that's actually what made my, my, uh, made me stronger mentally, I think. Um, to deal with that, to deal with pressure and to deal with the, the expectations, but stuck to it. And I guess I, I did okay at the end. Oh, that you did. You surely did okay. Yeah, hell yeah. So I suppose your first bike you ever had was not a race bike yet, right? That was just a normal bike to go to school, correct? Yeah, well, I mean, I was, I mean, I was obviously a privileged little kid, you know, like growing up with, with you know, Eddie Merckx, <laughs> you get a bike pretty fast. The three wheels, whatever, already the orange, the orange Multani uh, bike kind of colors, uh, you know, with the, the training wheels. And then uh, the very young age, we got a, a little tiny bike uh, that DeRosa made for me, especially for me uh, when I was like five or six years old. And uh, I never, surprisingly, you know, might be surprised by that, but I was never allowed to go by bike to school. I've always wanted to. But my mom was just too worried about me being on the road. And well, maybe I was just a little bit too reckless on the bike too um, growing up, you know, because I rode my bike all the time around the house. I was just, I just loved riding my bike. It was to me growing up, it was just going out and ride my bike in the backyard. And, and uh, the, the, the house I grew up when there was a huge big tree at the bottom of a big hill. And uh, I used to, to just go down it. And the last second I could, I was able to avoid it. And one day, um, uh, one of the, I don't know, ex-pro cyclists that raced with my dad is like, you better put a helmet on your son because he's going to kill himself against that tree. But, you know, that's, that's how I learned to handle my bike. You know, that's just, just playing games on my bike and, you know, lots of road rashes, lots of crashes. Yeah, and keeping it fun, keeping it fun for sure. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of history. Uh, I remember reading in a cycling magazine that, uh, that you had turned pro for telecom. But I had no idea that you actually 
stagiaired for for Motorola. How many races did you do for Motorola in 1993? Uh, I did a couple one-day races at Leuven, uh, Merlebaker. Uh, that was my two, first two races, one-day race. And then I was, I went, uh, it was quite funny. I went the Tour of Catalonia, Volta Catalonia. And uh, I know it was not a, it was not easy, but I would, all they asked for me is like, just, just, just open your eyes and do what you can and stuff like that. And um, Mejia was on the team, Alvaro Mejia, and uh, obviously one of the favorites for the for the, for the race. And uh, I did what I could, but I barely helped the team. And uh, I remember Fondurest had the jersey the whole week, and then Alvaro Mejia took the jersey the last day. So I I chiching the prize money, but without doing any work, and uh, together with the whole team. So that was uh, that was a really fun memory. And then I did I did uh, one more race, I think Paris Bourges, and that that was it. That was it. And and signing, you know, when you stagiaire for a team, you normally go to that team. But you went to Telecom. Uh, was that just because at that time Telecom was sponsored by Eddie Merckx, or what was your, well, your reasoning there? <laughs> it's an interesting question. It was they were both sponsored by my dad, and uh, Walter Gordofro told originally, you know, to my dad, like obviously we're interested in, in, in hiring your son. You know, if you tell me when he's ready or if he's not ready. And Jim was this kind of same situation. And, uh, my heart was always kind of leaning towards Motorola because I've always been a fan of 7-Eleven back in the days, you know, and Andy Amston would come to the, to, to the, to the house, Sean Yates, all those guys, you know, like, uh, my mom would cook for them. Like sometimes you, you, like it was just, it, it was just my team. It's the team that I dreamt of or, and, and be part of. And then, Something happened at some point, actually, in Tour California. I mean, Bobby, you know that my dad was was always changing my position, stuff like that. And and uh, one day he was he was going down to uh, to the to the bus and he's asking uh, one of the mechanics if I could change the the stamp for me because he thinks that my bike was too short, too long. I can't remember. And uh, the mechanic said to my dad, he said, "No, I don't have time to do that. If everybody would ask me to do that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, I would never finish my my job." I would never finish the day. <laughs> and I was like, so that, that didn't, that didn't go over very well at that point. And, um, basically long story short, you know, that, that, that kind of put a sour taste a little bit in, in everybody's mouth and, uh, just decided to go to telecom uh, and sign for telecom for that one year. And, uh, but then I was, I came back quickly, you know, I learned a little bit German that I came back quickly yeah. and, uh, I was, I was very happy to be back at Morola. Yeah, I, I mean, we were teammates together in 1995 and, and 1996. But the Axel Merckx of 1995 compared to the Axel Merckx in 1996 were two totally different people. I, I'm so intrigued to hear those lifestyle changes that you made. Um, you know, you were born and bred in Belgium. And back then, Belgium to... Belgians like that was it but you like halfway through the 96 season or in the beginning of the 96 season moved down to Monaco which was before it was cool right like now a lot of you know foreign riders live in Monaco but I just saw a major change in in you and I'm wondering if you can give us any insight into how how you became such an individual because that's what i think i respect about you the most is growing up with that last name Merckx. like 
you never wanted to be known as Eddie Merckx's son. You always wanted to be known as as Axel. And you are an amazing human being, a fantastic father. Um, you were a great teammate. But can you put? Can you give us a little insight onto that that change to move from from Belgium to Monaco and and basically put your flag in the ground? Yeah. So basically, what 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 happened is that you know the first year as a pro and and. I had so many demands from journalists and, and press uh, about, you know, kind of the like Merckx is back in cycling and he's a pro rider and what's the expectation. And, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you had one here, 30 years ago, you had one there. And, and it was like lots of expectations from the Belgium side of things. And uh, my dad is and was and still is very good friends with Jackie X, the Formula One driver, the ex Formula One driver. And they, I had a conversation and he's like, you know what, why don't you just let your son moved to Monaco. He said, you know, it's pretty self-sustained. It's pretty easy. He's going to be on his own training. He can train on his own. And, and, and I saw an opportunity right there as a, as a, because as, as you know, me, this ride is a big change between me and for 95 and 96, you know, I just saw an opportunity to kind of like, you know, I had, a, I signed a contract for two years. Like, why not? Why not go on my own and just, you know, do my own path and, and design my own, my own road. And, uh, I just I just jumped in it and I was I think you know one of the the greatest memory that I've had I mean I I love my parents and you know that they've been so much support for me over the years and and still are but it's it's been something that I was uh that was brought on to me a little bit through the mentality of Motorola too you know I was I was my eyes kind of opened up to a different mentality that I really liked and I really appreciated and enjoyed and uh the, so I decided to go a little bit on my own without the, with the support of my parents of course um emotionally and, 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 and all, all, all the way. But, you know, it was, it was the best thing I did. You know, people were like, what are you doing? Why are you going to Monaco? You know, like you have, your mom is serving you all the things that you have. You don't need to do anything, but you know, I want to stand on my own feet and just started from there. And then I think that changed a lot of perspective in my life also. And, and, and Motorola, really the, the team, and you, you remember, you know, we, we were like just a group of good guys and great friends that we're still friends. Um, and, and, and just kind of set the tone for uh, for the rest of my life. I, I remember, I think you said it at least once or twice in an interview to journalists or basically to the world and to your fans. Look, I know my name, but I'm not my dad. So please don't give me anything, any stress about it. You know, I always loved you instantly for that, that you said, look, I know my name, but don't compare me with that. I am Axel and I want to live my life. I can't remember where you said it, but maybe in Lee Keep or wherever I, I did find it, I said, wow, that's a pretty clear statement. And it's just what you just explained. You want to stand on your own feet. And that's why people all over the world basically respect you so much. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of my big ambitions uh, and desire uh, from a young age is... Uh, when my dad had a factory, we, we had a guy that would come, it was actually the German guy, he would come and, and kind of restructure the factory. He was rocking around, just restructuring the factory. And, and I always, and I remembered he was, he'd stay for lunch and, and, you know, comment on this and that. And then also one day, I don't know, for, for whatever reason it is, he said, you know, you, you don't, you know, some, some kids don't need to work. They don't need to, they don't have the ambition to, to get something because they just follow their footsteps of their parents and it's just the easy road. And it kind of struck something in my mind. And I said, you know, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove you that I'm more than just the son of Eddie Merckx. I'm more than just, you know, follow the footstep of my dad and, and go into a factory and, and 
take up the CEO position because my dad started it. And it, it was, you know, it was all, that's the desire that my, my dad had for me and my sister just to keep going. But I was like, you know, I'm going to go a different path and then we'll see eventually where I get to. But at least whatever I'm going to be building in my life is going to be on my own sweat and tears in a way uh, and not necessarily given from my father. I, I owe everything to my parents because of the, the education they gave me and the upbringing they gave me. But I think also the willpower and the desire to reach something is something that, that they both have and that I, you know, try to, to give on to, to my kids as a legacy is like, yeah, we have opportunities and we have privileges because we have, you know, we've had past people that did really good in their lives. So that doesn't mean we can, you will get to sit down and, and just enjoy and, and, and not build something on your own. Yeah, I mean, you know, we did have those two years together in Motorola, and then you rode for other powerhouse teams like uh, Pulte, uh, Mape, uh, Domo Farm Fritz, uh, all the way through what uh, with Davida Menlado yeah. and Phonak, and even back to back to T-Mobile. But through through those times, I mean, one of the the big standouts I remember was when you won the Belgian national title. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that what that meant to you, because I know that uh, that's a very prestigious jersey to have in Belgium, and you know you weren't like the the classic sprinter specialist, but you know you you won that race. Um, I never got to wear my pro- professional national. I never won a professional national championship, but was it was that like a, a at all a, a turning point for you when when you won that that yeah. year? And, um... Yeah, 2000 was was obviously my best year. Uh, you know, I just came out of the Giro and I won a stage in the Giro, and I and I was in really great form. And the course was perfect. You know, it was it was a really good course for me in Rochefort in the south of Belgium. So a little bit hilly and hard race, long race. And uh, I was part, like you said, I was part of a powerhouse. I mean, my teammates were Wilfried Piers, Johan Museu, Bart Leisen, uh Tom Steels. Uh, against, yeah, we were against v- Vanderbroek and against, uh, Lotto and, and, and those guys. But I mean, you have Museo and, and those guys in, on your back. It's, it's, it, it makes a big difference. And I, uh, I had great condition and I ended up winning the race and it, quite special for me also because back then, the back then King of Belgium was made an appearance <laughs> and actually gave me the jersey, which never happens. And, uh, so of course my dad was there and the King, both Kings of Belgiums were present, I should say. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just, it, it's a great memory. It's, it's something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life because, you know, I mean, I mean, Frank, Frank was second, Vanderbroek and, and Rick Verbrugge was third. And I mean, shit in Belgium doesn't get better than that. I mean, you know, <laughs> sorry, but, and, and, and wearing the jersey, the Belgium jersey, we are very, we're a real Belgian family, as you know, although I don't live there, but, you know, we have the black, yellow and red. Uh, colors in our heart and then we're through Belgians, you know, bilingual and all that stuff, everything that goes along with it. And to, to be able to wear the jersey for one year is something very special. Now, now we got to talk about the Olympics too, like that Olympic course and you winning the bronze medal. Um, before we went on the air, I was telling, telling our producer Mark and, and Jens a little bit about my recollection of that final attack that you had, but that was also another crowning achievement for you to get a bronze medal in the 2004 road race. When you made that attack, I think it was like with four or five K to go. Uh, did you really think that that was going to stick? I mean, you just kind of rode away from us 
But what 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 are some of your memories of of that amazing result? Yeah, I I I mean I remember because Jan Jan was the big favorite of the race uh, because he came out of the tour and he was flying and uh, I was kind of basing my my race around him and when Bettini and Paulino took off on the climb a couple laps before I was looking at Jan I was waiting for him to go and and. I didn't, and and I that was my I was so pissed off on myself because I'm like you have the legs you don't go how much of an idiot are you, and you know it was really hectic final last lap and I'll never forget Michael Berry was up the road actually, and I talked to him about it uh, years because we were in T-Mobile together at the end of our career and uh, he was about hundred meters out of the road and I was like I'm going to I'm going to try to go catch him and then the two of us will just hopefully we'll be able to stick it together and and and. And get to the finish. So I remember going and passing him. I remember telling to Michael, I said, like, Michael, come on, let's go. And I kept going without looking back. And also I looked back and Michael is nowhere to be seen. I was like, oh, I guess I'm going by myself. But then it's like, you know, holy shit. You know, like now it's like you got two, three Ks to go and you got the, the peloton like chasing you down. And I'm like, I, and my granddad, he's, he's passed away obviously by now, but he always says, can you please do me a favor and stop looking behind you? Because that's all you do. You're always worried what's coming after you. And I, I remember thinking about it. I was like, okay, you can think, you can look back one time until they catch you. And if they don't catch you just before the finish, you can look one more time. And that's exactly what I did. I just, I just went for it, looked one time with two Ks to go, couldn't see him. Like, okay, I keep going. And then I looked one more time just at the finish line. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> here I am. You know, and then, you know, there was like all the press was up there and then there was two guys standing up with my dad who was co-commentating and, and, uh, and the Belgian journalist that was ju jumping up and down, you know, for me, it was finally one, one of the big accomplishments of, of course, of my life. Um, I can jump in with uh, some more uh, family stuff in 2000, was it 2000? Your first daughter was born. Is that correct? 2001. 2001. And then, um, after the Olympic or 2005 another one was born yeah so please uh, help me quickly how old are they now uh well Oksana is just she just turned 20 and Athena is going to turn 16 uh, at the end of June so see um my oldest daughter, I got two boys they are perfectly fine my oldest daughter is 18 and holy smokes I feel like I'm aging every day for about <laughs> a year was it like that with you as well and your daughters any advice I for me Yeah, no, it's just it's it's you know as the age go by, you just kind of stop stop realizing you know your, your kids. I mean, my daughter's turning 20 and 16. My my youngest one is is almost driving, which scares the shit out of me. But um, and a couple of years is going to be going to university. You know, it's 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 amazing how fast. I find that the first year are really slow, and then the second years are are going. I mean, the second part, I should say, are going really really fast. And uh, you know, it's it's. We only do girls. We only have girls, so it's uh, it's a, it's a special bond, and uh, you know I'm I'm really proud of them. Uh, my oldest daughter, she's in university in Arizona, so she's in a swim scholarship, an academic scholarship, and my youngest daughter, she's a she's a she's a soccer player. She's a football player. She's got my genes for that. And uh, but you know, like we've we've been struck also with uh, with a bit of a fallback with her because she's she's also fighting a, a disease that uh, is pretty rare, and I wouldn't mind bring it up because we actually started a virtual ride uh, that uh, is trying to raise funds for research for the Desmoid uh, Foundation, which is a very rare disease. It's only 
two to four, between two or four people per million uh, that are, are caught with this disease. So research is very limited, funding is very limited. So um, yeah, I, anyway, my my wife and my daughter have been working really hard on on, on creating that. That's uh, Athena's right. And uh, everybody that wants to come and support it, I will uh, more than happy come and, and welcome them to, to support our, our cause and the cause of uh, finding a cure for this uh, very rare disease. Then give, give us a time and a date. How can we join? Where? So it's, you can, you can uh, start, uh, you, get, you get commit to a certain distance and it's between the weekend of the 10th and the 12th of June. And uh, so you can do uh, 55, uh, 100 and 125 and 160 ride. And basically pick your distance and train towards it and then uh, raise some funds and people sponsor you up until that weekend. And then we'll, we'll donate um, to the non-for-profit Desmond Foundation Canada. And then they will redistribute uh, to, um, to some hospitals that do research actually for the, for the, for the disease. And one of them is in Ohio. Uh, and then the other one is actually in Ghent in Belgium where they're, they actually, uh, quite pushing for the, for, for cure and research on that disease. Well, let's get behind this. Uh, no doubt about it, but I have to ask you winning the medal in Athens in 2004, does her name, Athena have anything to do with With that? No, no, that's funny. No, no, everybody thinks that's why I, I, we not named her Athena, but it, it has nothing to do with it. We, uh, we were looking for names and, and, uh, we, we couldn't get along, uh, for that, for, for giving <laughs> her names because as you will appreciate, my wife wanted to call her Cadence or Hollands. And as a Belgian, you don't call your daughter Holland. It's impossible. You don't do that. It's like, you know. <laughs> You don't do that. So that was, that was a big no-no. And then we were, I remember, I think we remember being in Belgium. We were going through a magazine that my mom had. And then we came up upon the name uh, Athena Onassis. Um, so that was the daughter of uh, Onassis. And, and it really, we really liked it, both of us. And we kind of got along <laughs> on that name. So we get stuck with it. And, and Athena is very grateful that she's got that name. She kind of mentioned it again because she would have not been happy with the other two, she said. <laughs> It's nearly summer, and if you're looking for some help getting back into shape, don't worry, Outside Plus has you covered. Bobby and myself are both members and get to enjoy training plans, exclusive gear discounts, entry to cycling events, and more, including access to premium content from other outside publications like Velo News, Trail Runner, Yoga Journal, Backpacker, and Peloton Magazine. All in all, it's $350 worth of value for just $99. But if you enter our special coupon code, BobbyJens25, at checkout, you'll get another 25% off. Go to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter BobbyJens25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout to receive our special 25% discount. And back to our chat with Axel. I want to talk a little bit about 2007. 2007 was your last year. You get done with the Tour de France, you retire. We talk on the phone, and the next thing I know, uh, you're moving. 
you're you're getting out of Monaco. You dropped a bunch of stuff off at my house. I remember we had an armoire of yours, which was like way too big for our house, but we kept it for years because it was kind of a cool story that uh, that you gave this to us. But that was a real eye opener for me because I was definitely towards the end of my. I, I should have retired in 2007. I wound up uh, doing one more um, half baked season in in 2008. But you just up and leaving really was like a shock to me. And not only did you up and leave and go back to Belgium, you you went to to Canada. Um, tell us about that transition out of the professional world of cycling to the beginning of the, the Trek Livestrong team that uh, you're still basically running to this day under Hogman's uh, Berman action. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's I mean, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a interesting story, but you know, like when, when, when I met my wife, uh, she came over to Europe, obviously, because my life was there. And, and, and as the kids were growing older, uh, at some point we had to make a decision on where are the kids going to go to school? You know, up until, you know, preschool, kindergarten, it didn't really matter. You could do the half and half. Um, I felt, we felt that it was, is, is better than to have to start a school system somewhere and stick with it. And, uh, we were, we, we bought land here and we built land and we built a house on it. And we thought, well, you know, she came over to Europe for, I don't know, at that point it was like 12 years. I think it's kind of my turn to, uh, to, to make a gesture and to go over to Canada and to start school system so my daughter can have a proper education. Um, not that Belgium doesn't have proper education, but just to say with in the same system, that's what I mean. And also, you know, somewhere I think, it was also to protect my kids a little bit. Also, uh, as you know, when you grow up in Belgium with the name Merckx, you get a lot of attention and not people that are judging you, but I think you can't be a really young kid. And I didn't want that for my daughters. I think it would be a, a better way to, to, to grow up and to, to have that kind of normal childhood, you know, as a, as, as a family. And, and that's why, that's why we, we moved to Canada, but, you know, when looking back, you know, you, you, you go from professional cyclist, everything is, is built around your, your brand and your name at some point. So if you go into retirement, you think you do something around that and you go into Canada where cycling was basically non-existent. Um, no education, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I make good money in my career, but not, not enough to not do anything for the rest of my life. So I was like, after a few months, I'm like, Holy smokes, what am I going to do? Um, and then I started to do some bike tours with, with some cycle tourists, maybe to bring them back to Europe for the classics for Flesh and Liege. And then I'll never forget, I got a, I got a, um, I got a phone call, actually a text message from Lance. And, uh, he says, I need to talk to you. Uh, so he called me, uh, a little bit later and he said, listen, I heard you were in talks maybe of running the development team of Garmin or Slipstream back then. And he said, uh, why are you doing this? And I'm like, because I need a job and I need something to do <laughs> in my life. So he, then he, he basically told me like, well, I'm, I'm making comeback and I want to build a team around Taylor Finney and I want you to run it and, uh, give me, give me five days. He said, you know, a typical lens, give me five days and I'll give you a definite answer. And I said, sure, I can, I can wait five days. Five days later, he's like, okay, I got Trek on board. We're, we're building this thing. And, uh, I put me in touch with Bart Nax and let's go. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> now I got to build a team. And we actually built a team uh, from a blank page, you know, and it was kind of, 
my last year was on T-Mobile was a little bit already kind of towards helping the young guys, you know. Uh, we have, we had Linus Gerdemann back then in the team and we had Mark Cavendish as the first year, you know, in the team and stuff like that. And I really liked the, the younger generation. So I, I was really inspired by that. And I'm like, maybe there's something to it, uh, you know, to build one Taylor Feeney and then, you know, quickly realize that you can't build really a team around one person. And, you, and there is an opportunity in, in the U S to build something more substantial because there is a market for it. And. Um, how much is it? 13 years later, I'm basically still doing the same thing. And, you know, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, I love it. I love working with young kids and it's, it's been very successful. Well, and really still doing it. I mean, there's a long, long list of very, very good riders. He came from your team. It's almost like the who is who of the young rider, of the young generation in, uh, in the world tour. Most of them come from your team. That is really impressive. So what is it? What is it that makes your kids better? Do you pick the right kids? You treat them right? Or um, you would just have a good hand in developing them, giving them confidence and the tools to develop? Or what, what is the secret there? Yeah, you know, it's not, it's, uh, this is not about me. You know, I didn't, I didn't build this team on my own. You know, this is not about, this is not about me or my, my own person. I, I built this team uh, with the idea as I'm going to build this team wishing that I was part of this team. So I was trying to take the best of every single team that I was part of, the best experience that I have as a bike rider and try to make it as a development team and try to give all the experience to those young riders. And it worked really well right away. Um, I think there was a good balance between uh, being more relaxed the, the more North American mentality with the experience of the European racing uh, once in a while. I think that, that elevated the level and also the multiple uh, personality internationally, not just make it strictly just American, just make it more international because all, I think I've, I find that all culture in the world brings something to each other and can complement and implement each other. Um, I had great staff. I still have great staff working for me that, you know, really create that team spirit. And as I'm coming from a, a soccer background, you know, it was really the mentality, like we'll, we will win as a team and we will lose as a team. It was never really about winning in the beginning. It was more about trying to develop them to become the best they could be, whether it's on and off the bike. And uh, I think that that's what what brought the attention to it. And obviously, having Taylor Finney uh, winning Roubaix the first two years kind of really um, brought a lot of attention to the team. And and uh, and then you know, like the the young generation, just the, the riders that came through the program, kind of like, hey, maybe watch that guy. He will fit well in your program. And so. You know how the riders are. They talk to each other. It's like, oh, I want to be part of this team. Can you introduce me? Or, And then the riders were actually my best advocates. They would be like, yeah, you should come to this team. It's great. The mentality is good. We're doing this, this, this. And, and also we become a destination for for the guys in, in the U.S. and internationally to, to be part of the team. And then you attract bigger talents and better riders. And and off you go. And you keep, and you keep, you keep having that mentality. You know, like uh, one of the first non-american guy that came was jasper Sturben. you know he came from he was world champion junior belgium he was basically a rock star already at his age and uh, he came to us because he found that he was going to have a little bit more freedom and be more more himself also and more life experience to travel the world uh, doing what he loved and also learning from from a good team of uh, of teammates and, and and staff that can bring him to a high level so that's basically what it is 
But the list of writers that you developed, I mean, obviously you said the whole project started because of Taylor Finney, but I mean, the list is just so impressive. You know, Alex Dowsett, George Bennett, Ian Boswell, uh, Joe Dombrowski, who just won a stage of, of the Giro, and then unfortunately the next day had to stop just to show you how hard of a damn sport this is. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Jesper, uh, Jesper Stoyven, Jesper Philipsen, Jonathan Navarez, who's doing really well in the Giro right now, Joao Almeida, and of course, our boy, Teo Gegenhardt. That's, that's just a few of the, the talented riders that, that you have developed. But I'm curious, is there one in particular that you're especially fond of that, um, that you can share with us or all these, all these young men basically at the same level and, and you're just there to help them all in the same, same way? Well, well one, it's, hard to, it's hard to say you have one favorite or not because everybody contributed to the team, uh, or at least most of them. Um, and, and brought some, some level. Interestingly, you know, in the beginning, I think Alex Dowsett made a big difference in the team originally. Um, he was, he was very, he's very smart. You can tell already, you know, like as a, as a bike rider, you know, he's, he's very smart, but he's also knows how to make a team better. And, you know, he's like, he was, he would always apologize. I'm sorry I asked you this, but what if we, what if we do this? What if we do that? And that's how the team, developed and got better, you know, because it's not like I just found a miracle recipe the, the riders put some input. And I think that's, that's very important to have a good relationship with the riders because you can be honest with them, but they can be honest with you too. One of the questions that I've asked them, uh, especially in the beginning of the, of the team, it was like, what, what can I do to make it better? Tell me you've been on the program for one, two, three, four years. Tell me what you think could make this team a better team. Obviously, more money doesn't, doesn't, it's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, how can I be more supportive of the riders? What can we bring on to the riders to make it better, to make it more, uh, valuable for, for, for the next generation to come? And they were all pretty, pretty honest. But I think everybody knows that I have a pretty special bond with Teo. Um, you know, Teo has been, came to the team and, and we have a really strong bond. We're actually good friends. We're really good friends. Um, I mean, through my daughter's disease, he's been incredibly supportive. Um, messaging her, messaging me, messaging everybody just to make sure that we're okay. I, 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 he's just, he's just, he's just has a kind heart and I'll never forget, you know, like the, the support that I got from him. And the, the, the kind words that he said to, 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 to me when, when he won the Giro and, you know, it, it makes a, it makes a special bond to it, but this is a bond that it, that was created and, and started when he was on the team already. So now we talked all about the happy times and all that, but be honest with us. Don't you ever had moments where you just yelling at them? What were you thinking? Are you stupid? You spoiled little kids. What's in your mind? Did you ever had to yell at them or is it all, we're all happy. We get along and we perform well. Or did you also sometimes have moments where you just want to choke them? No, um, I don't think I got mad. Maybe I got mad a couple of times. I can't remember. Maybe some riders will stand up and say, oh, you remember when you told me this or that? But I, I try to, you know, I try to be there for them when it goes bad. Uh, that's, that's, that's the hardest part of my, that's when the, I am most valuable to the riders and when things are not going right. You know, the guy that win, wins races and, and has all the offers of the contracts of everybody. They don't, they don't need me. They don't need my help. They have their agents and they, they, they figure it out themselves. They can get my advice if they want to, but it's more about, you know, like trying to make it better. And then when you see a potential, 
you know, I remember a conversation that I had with Lawson Craddock one year in the Tour of Colorado, and uh, he was dropped out of the wheels, completely lost wheels from the peloton. And I'm like, and I knew him already from a year being on the team with us. And I'm like, so I sat him down and I went to his room and I'll never forget. And I said to him, we had a long conversation. He's like, tell me what you do for training. Explain to me what you are doing as training. So he explained me, oh, I did it two hours, two and a half hours. And I did time trial for an hour and a half. So I, so I talked to him and I said, with your potential, I guarantee you that if you are training as a pro and you live as a pro, you will be able to blow yourself away next year. And he finished top 10 in Tour of California the year after. To me, those are conversations that I never forget because I, I, I really have the feeling that I kind of brought something onto him. And I, it's more than just that one conversation. But I'm not, you know, I'm not a yearler. I, I mean, I think people know when I'm pissed uh, because I have that supposedly intimidating look on me. But um, if they would know how I am with my, with my, with my kids, they would laugh at me. But um, I'm a big, I'm a big softy for that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, I like to be straightforward and I like to be honest with them, but yelling, I don't, I don't believe in yelling. Uh, I don't believe in negative, uh, I, I believe in constructive criticism, but never in a negative way. You know, you, you, we are here to help. We're not here to, to, to make their life, uh, harder or bitter. But I mean, there is frustrating time when, you know, as a, in the car, for sure. I, I, I swore quite a few times in the car and just say, how is this possible? What the hell are you guys doing? But, you know, you have to cool, cool down and calm down and be constructive after the race because you can't forget this is development. This is not world tour where they get paid a shitload of money and, and the expectations are super high. You try to help them more than anything else. And, and, and kids will be kids, you know, and that's what I really like about your organization, that it's not just, you know, spoiled little kids. You're teaching them those those life skills that are going to make them successful regardless if you know when when they leave your team because they all tap out uh after their under 23 days are over and they go on many of them go on to a professional career successful one at that on 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 a world tour team so you know mega mega respect not only for how you were as a rider but even more so what you're doing for, for these young kids. But I'm curious, have you ever considered a woman's development team? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we considered it a little bit last year, uh, but I mean, with COVID hit and, and, you know, we were struggling for sponsorship that never came about. Um, you know, the times were tough, as you know, uh, especially for cycling in the U.S. and, and, Basically, the the funding was cut left and right, and I just I just could barely uh, um, survive as a team uh, this year. So uh, there's, I mean, obviously there is there is teams out there that are doing a great job with development, and, and it would be it'd be great to add value to it uh, on the current program. But obviously, everything costs money, and you know that. And uh, it's money that we don't have right now, so unfortunately, we can't we can't even consider that anymore. So what's the schedule then for the rest of the year for your team? You just mentioned that you're um, going to go racing for the Baby Giro. Any more races before training camps? And what happens after the Baby Giro? Yeah, no. So we have one-day race in uh, Limburg uh, coming up here, uh, just a one-day race. And then uh, it's the Baby Giro uh, for nine days uh, in June. Um, and then most of the guys uh, will go back to the U.S. and do U.S. nationals for the American riders, and the other ones will uh, will just stay in their national championships uh, at their home. And then uh, we're racing regional alone in uh, in July 
and then we have a few one day races in uh, in August and September and uh we have tour of Brittany later in the year um i mean considering all things considering we're, st- we're still waiting on invitation because you know obviously we're the bottom the bottom feeder of the of the pyramid of cycling you know we we take whatever they give us and uh, they ask the big teams if they want to come first and then when they have an open spot then they think about us then it's like oh yeah you guys can come too by the way and uh, you know for us it's a great experience so um you know in all things considered i think we have we have, we have a great schedule and we have a great, uh, great races for the guys and a good balance between U23 races and also pro races because I think that's very important too. Hey, um, after looking at the list of your riders with Jasper Philipsen, there's only one sprinter there and even he is half classics, half sprinter. Why is that that you never had like a sprinter in your team or... It seems like it's all Climber, GC riders, Classics riders, like all of them very, very good riders. But just a typical sprinter never had one. Why is that? Is it just coincidence or is there a reason for it? Because when I was a pro rider, I hate sprinters. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) That makes sense. No, it's not true. No, it's not true. That's not why. That's not why. Um, It's, I don't know. It's, uh, we've had a few sprinters but not super sprinters but jasper is fast stubborn was fast also you know the difference is like if you get and that's a little bit of a mentality and and maybe it's not a coincidence but you just take a sprinter in the team for me it's very difficult with five six riders to have just one sprinter because you guys kind of cutting yourself short already in the roster as in you know that one guy is going to wait for the last 200 meters to pop up and to do anything It's an easy win, you know, if, if you have a fast guy. Uh, but I value more the team and I value more. I, I would try to have a guy that is fast, but it also can do something to help the team when it comes down to it. You know, you want to, you want to have more of a complete team and, and just one pure sprinters. I've always been a little bit more, more reluctant to it, uh, towards, towards that. Although I, maybe I made mistakes in the past and, and that's fine, but. I think for the team spirit, it's very important that you need to have a sprinter that is willing to sacrifice himself also. And there aren't many sprinters that are willing to sacrifice themselves in order to not be able to sprint. And that you, we all know that. Um, and so that's maybe, maybe it's voluntary in, in a way, but you know, I've, I've, I'm giving some, some guys some chances to, uh, fast guys some chances to come into the team and to do, uh, to do some sprints for us. And we've, we've done some, you know, Taylor was super fast, you know, but it was, it was more than that. I think that's a great, great answer. Um, it definitely defines your character of a, of a, of a team and probably a, a huge reason why you guys are year after year so successful. And I just want to tip my hat again uh, to you, your sponsors, your organization, your staff. You know, the riders get a benefit from it. And um, very rarely, I'm sure, um, you know, our, our thank yous passed around, but Axel Merckx, thank you for what you've done for the development of the sport. Like you said, you weren't the only one. Uh, you've had a lot of help, and thank you to those people as well. But most of all, thank you for coming on our, our podcast and sharing your interesting insights with us. We really, really, really appreciate you coming on, and it was great to catch up. Indeed, it was. On a personal note, it was just good to see you. And it was even better to see you being in a happy place in life. You know, you have a rewarding job. You seem to be happy with what you do. So it was good to see you in a good and safe place. And yes, thanks for being part of our uh, podcast. And good luck for the future. And hopefully in one or two years down the road, 
you'll be also the boss of a development women's team when the times get better. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. And it was really good to see you guys. Thanks for the, for the, the chat. Okay, everyone, it's that time again for the hashtag shut up legs rider of the week. Yenzi, who do you got this week? Easy choice for me. Victor Campenarts for his fantastic stage run, but not only that. Since Eurosport, we cover the entire Giro Italia live from the beginning to the end. And so often I saw Victor Campenarts in his usual typical style attacking right at the start, out of the guns. He was in a few breakaways before, he got caught, he came back, he got dropped on the climbs. Then he attacks, he gets caught again. Finally it pays off with this fantastic stage win. So he is my shut up legs rider of the week. That's a good one, Jens. But my hashtag shut up legs rider of the week is Lorenzo Fortunato from Yolo Cometa. Um, let's just say if you're gonna win your first bike race, winning on the top of the Zoncalon is the way to do it. Uh, he was in a breakaway for a long time, had one compatriot that he had to drop there in the last 2K, and that, that gentleman said that that was the longest two and a half, 3K of his life. I mean, he was always right there in sight. And old Lorenzo Fortunato just, just kept going and posted his arms up in the air first time on the top of the Zoncalon. Um, doesn't get much better than that. So congratulations, Lorenzo. Fortunato. I just want to keep saying that name. Fortunato. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for this week. And a huge thank you to Axel Merckx for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.